For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. And that's the point, the purpose of God. We'll come to that. And then I'm going to read here from verse 22, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief. By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery, which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Well, as we continue our study here in Ephesians, um, we're going to pick up where we left off last time, which is verse 6 of chapter 3. If you were here with us, you would remember that. Um, where we learn that all God's chosen people, both Jew and Gentile alike, are all made one people for God himself, in and through Jesus Christ our Lord one people for God through Christ, which is the Apostle Paul's, and he refers to as the mystery in verse 3 of chapter 3, and the mystery of Christ in verse 4 of this chapter of chapter 3. And we spent some time looking at that verse, verse 6, and learned specifically how Paul was explaining and teaching this magnificent and glorious truth of the mystery of Christ, which is the oneness, the oneness of God's elect people in Christ. If you look at verse 6, Paul says, to be specific of chapter 3, verse 6, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And so last time we looked pretty close, we looked closely at those three points that Paul makes here in verse 6, fellow heirs, fellow members of the body, and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus, all of which is through the gospel. And I would commend to you that last message, and if you haven't been here for the series in Ephesians, you can listen to those messages on the website. 
And now this morning, our focus will be on what Paul refers to as the eternal purpose of the mystery, which God carried out in Christ through the gospel. We're going to be looking specifically at verses 7 through 12, as I mentioned, uh, Lord willing. Look at verse 7. Paul says, of which I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. I want to be very deliberate and clear about the work of God. God made the Apostle Paul a minister, right? And he makes this point that he was made. The word made in in the Greek, to become or come into existence, I won't attempt to say it, but translated, we're finished in Hebrews 4, 3. In other words, we're brought to their predestined end. God had a plan, and it included Paul as a minister of the gospel. And Paul says, he uses the very same word in Colossians 1, verse 23, I, Paul, was made a minister. In verse 25 of Colossians 1, he says, of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit. I love that. And it's so interesting, this is the same word that Paul uses in in Philippians chapter 2. In verse 7, speaking of Christ, he says this in verse 7 of Philippians 2, but speaking of Christ, emptied himself, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and being made, there's the word, made in the likeness of men. So Paul is saying that he was made a minister by God, In the same way, Christ was made in the likeness of men by God. God makes his ministers, God alone. And you might ask, how does God do this? Well, look at verse 7 again. According to the gift of God's grace, according to the working of his power, that's how God does that. Every true minister of God is made by God. According to the gift of God's grace, according to the working of God's power. Brothers and sisters, this truth is vitally important for us to remember. We must always remember that we serve and minister for God only by God's gift of grace. It's not in our strength, it's not in our own wisdom. And only through the working of God's power. Listen to this quote from Matthew Henry on this point. Quote, observe, he says, what God calls men to, he fits them for. And does it with an almighty power, an effectual working of divine power attends the gifts of divine grace. Isn't that good? True ministers of God are those who have been made by God. They are not those who are self-made, self-promoting, self-asserting, graceless, who lack true evidence of the working of God's power and grace. And we see an example of that, don't we? Sometimes when you turn on the Christian station, what you hear is a promotion of men, not a promotion of Christ. 
holiness, righteousness, and truth. Yeah, rather those who are made ministers by God are those who work to promote God, to assert God, who are filled with the grace of God, who genuinely evidence the working of God's power in the ministry to which they're called. Made a minister. And there's one other characteristic that Paul points out. He says um, in verse 8, he's made a minister to me. He's like surprised to me. The very least of all saints, this grace was given. Humility. Humility is a mark of a true minister. Humility was so vitally important to the Apostle Paul that we see him refer, I mean, it's almost like he's celebrating this truth throughout his writings. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9, Paul refers to himself as the least of the apostles, right? Remember that? And he says, for I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. What an important thing to remember. Paul remembered his sin. He remembered what would have disqualified him. He couldn't serve God on his own merit. No. He he sees himself as the least of the apostles because he remembers where he came from. He's not self-asserting. And next we see him here in our verse, Ephesians 3.8, he's the least of the saints. Right? Then, and again, because he knows where he came from. There's nothing I've done. This is all the grace of God in me, through me. And then we see him refer to himself as the foremost, the foremost of sinners. Question, Stan, and I'll include you in my question. Do you see yourself that way? The foremost of sinners? I'll tell you, there's a propensity in us to be like the man in Luke 18. God, I thank you I'm not like other men, Right? I mean, there's that propensity. God, forgive us. We want to be like the other man who went to his home justified, who said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Right? And this is quite a progression. Well, in, in 1 Timothy 1.5, Paul says this to Timothy. This is toward the end of his ministry, his first letter. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. So it's counterintuitive to the human mind, but if we see ourselves as as the chief of sinners and we know that Christ has come to save sinners, you getting the math? Yeah. Help us, Lord. Yeah, this is quite the progression from Paul as he sees himself in the light of the truth of the glory of God and of Christ. Paul grows to see God's holiness more clearly. He progresses in his view of himself, right? From being the least of the apostles down to being the least of the saints and then down again even further to being the foremost of sinners. Paul is taken. He is so taken with God and Christ, so amazed 
with the knowledge of the Holy One, so consumed with the perfections of Christ that he writes these words to the church in Philippi. So I'm going to ask you to turn to Philippians 3 and follow along. Let's just read a few verses there. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7. Paul writes, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. Listen to that heart, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, being, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You know, when he says that, he understands the transaction. How did Christ make us his own? He died. He died. He shed his blood. His body was broken. His blood was shed that he might purchase us to be his own. Paul knew that. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I love this, verse 15. Let those of us who are mature or just growing, right? Think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, he's talking to the church, God will reveal that also to you. The Lord is the one who is giving us a new way to think. And we can be confident that he will accomplish his work that he determined in eternity past. Our confidence is in Christ, in his work toward us. Amen? Humility. It truly is the mark of a true minister, a true minister of God. The most perfect and clear example of this godly humility, who do you think I'm going to point to? that marks the minister made by God, it's none other than Jesus Christ himself. And look over there at verse, well, in Philippians 2, uh, verse 5. Paul says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. There's the standard. He's the example. Live like him. Be like him. Listen to this. Have this attitude, the way you think, in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, 
the second person of the Godhead, Adonai, in the worship session from eternity past, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in absolute perfection, wanting nothing, needing nothing. He didn't need a hug from Jesse Duplantis. I'm sorry. That's this radical way to think that I complete God. That is heretical. It's heresy. Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with or did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, in other words, held on to. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and being made and made, there's our word again, in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every knee will bow, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christ was made in the, in the likeness of men. He's not a creation. Let me be clear. But he was made in the likeness of men to minister for the Father. And the example is that he was obedient. Right? God. Our prayer should be, oh God, humble me. Humble me, Lord. I want to serve you. I want to minister in your name. I want to know you. I don't want my pride to prevent me from knowing you, loving you, living for you, ministering for you. God, help me. Yeah. All right, let's look now at this ministry that Paul says he's been made a minister of. Look at verse 8. To preach. To preach to the Gentiles, right? Verse 8 of chapter 3 of Ephesians. Paul was made a minister to preach, to announce good news, to evangelize, to proclaim, especially the gospel. Uh, that's what that Greek word means, a proclamation. In the New Testament, this word is used especially of glad tidings, of the coming kingdom of God and of the salvation to be obtained in it through Christ and of what relates to this salvation. So what is this message that Paul is preaching? Look again at verse 8. The unfathomable riches of Christ. That word in the Greek means not tracked out, untraceable, past finding out, unsearchable. The unfathomable riches, these riches cannot be searched out, cannot be comprehended by the mind of the flesh. They are not discovered. They're revealed. That is such a huge point. Man can't get to God. God comes to man in grace, in mercy, in love, so that man might know him that's the point. 
these riches. Um, that word is, we get word, the word fathom, of course, it's root, and it's a measurement, right? It's, it's a nautical term. Sailors would use that, right, as a measurement to see how deep the ocean is. Paul's saying it can't be measured. This is an ocean with no bottom or shore. The riches of Christ. Wow. Listen to these verses regarding the riches of Christ, the riches of God in Christ. And this is just a selection that I grabbed that spoke to my heart. Hopefully it speaks to yours, but nonetheless, the Word of God. I mean, we could be here <laughs> till next Sunday talking for eternity about the riches, the, unmeasure, the unsearchable, unmeasurable riches of Christ. But Psalm 31, 19, how great is your goodness. You want to know what goodness is? Look to God. God alone is good. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you have wrought for those who take refuge in you before the sons of men. John 1.16, for of his fullness we have all received in grace upon grace. There's never an end to grace. And then Paul's paean of praise in Romans chapter 11, verse 33, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. 1 Corinthians 2.9, but just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard, which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him, the unfathomable riches of God in Christ. Ephesians 1, verse 7, in him we have redemption, redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, the unfathomable riches of Christ. According to the riches of his grace, which, I love verse 8, which he lavished on us. He didn't, you know, just sprinkle or, you know, miserly, here's your little share. He opened the fire hose. We are lavished with grace grace upon grace, the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. It's not capricious. God is very determined where his grace goes. I mean, there's general grace for every human. They're all breathing air. You know, we're all breathing air. We're all eating. We, there's general grace, but this specific salvific grace is determined in eternity past. The riches of Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That's the point. The riches of his grace are in Christ. It's just, it's astounding. It's amazing truth, right? Everyone who has Christ has all his unfathomable 
unsearchable, glorious riches. Oh God, help us. Help us, Lord, to comprehend these wonderful truths. It'll change our lives. It'll absolutely revolutionize the way we think and live. God, help us. Listen to Paul's prayer. How important is it that we grasp these truths? Um, Look at verse 17. We'll get there, Lord willing, (laughs) in some time to come. But verse 17 of chapter 3, Paul's plea. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts. This is Ephesians 3.17. Through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. I mean, his prayer for these saints and his, our prayer for the saints here. Your prayer for us that we may know the riches of God in Christ. Also, we see, and look at verse 9, back to our text, Ephesians 3, 9. We see in verse 9 that Paul is preaching in order that he may bring to light the plan. Now, some of your Bibles may say administration. Let me read this verse. And to bring to light what is the administration or plan of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. Paul is preaching in order to bring to light, fotizo, to shed rays, to shine or to brighten up, to enlighten, illumine, make to see. That's why he's preaching. His preaching was for the purpose of exposure, explanation, and for clearly disclosing this absolutely mind-bending truth of God's eternal purpose, his eternal purpose. Yeah, this word in the Greek for administration, so that's how the LSB, the NASB, and the Holman, I think NIV, have this word translated, this Greek word is administration, I think the ESV yeah, has it as plan, and the New King James is uh, fellowship. Um, but it's an administration, refers to an administration of a household or an estate. Now listen to this. The management of a household or of a household or of household affairs specifically, the management, oversight, administrate of others' property. Others. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew with that in mind. This is as the Pharisees were accusing him that he was casting out demons by the prince of demons, saying, yeah, you're doing this under the power of Satan. Can you imagine accusing the Son of God? Um, You can turn there if you want. It's Matthew chapter 12, verse 28. Here's Jesus' response. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, he says, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, I think Mark has this, um, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, to give you some context there, or contrast, 
then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his, his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? This mystery, this eternal plan of God, which has been hidden in God through the ages and now has been made known through the light of the gospel is the redemption of all that belongs to God. It's glorious. All those elect souls, along with creation, who were separated from God at the fall. Genesis 3. And held captive, held captive by Satan, the strong man, are now rescued, restored, redeemed, set free by Jesus Christ, the stronger man. Is that glorious? Thank you, God. King Jesus, he said, then the kingdom of God has come. King Jesus, he's come and plundered the house of the strong man. He's taken back his property. Wow. Through the power of God himself, fulfilling the eternal purpose. I love our dear brother who is home Lloyd-Jones, who talked about the harmony being restored again. Just because we didn't know God before we were here doesn't mean he didn't know us. He did know us. He wrote our names in his book before he created. God knew us and sent his son on a rescue mission to redeem what belongs to him. The stronger man. And now God has made known his eternal purpose to the church and through the church. Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. The mystery which has been hidden from the ages past, Paul says, in past generations and past ages, but has now been made known, manifested to his saints, to whom God willed, verse 27, whom God willed, to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, and here it is, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Brother and sister, if Christ is in you and you're in Christ, you have a hope. You have the hope of glory. If he's not, you don't. The Bible's clear. What a mystery. What an amazing truth to be disclosed that Christ is my Savior. I belong to Him. My eternal destiny is set. I will see Him. That's why we read Psalm 1715. That day is imminent. And I love to whom God willed to make it known. I mean, Christ in you, the hope of glory, this tremendous transcendent truth this rich mystery is so grand, so glorious, that only God can make it known. It is unknowable apart from God. Also, 
This rich mystery is only made known, as I said, to those whom God wills to make it known. And that, this is somewhat of a mystery too, isn't it? I mean, that's not in line with human thinking. It doesn't sound fair. <laughs> but it is the work of God. Jesus says this in John chapter 6, verse 65. He was saying, for this reason, Jesus says, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. So that's all. Salvation is God's business. And as we pray, Lord, I pray daily. My wife and I pray daily for our grandchildren. We pray for, for unsaved family members, for our neighbors. We go around the cul-de-sac praying, Lord, rescue their souls. Because if they're of the elect, they'll be saved. It's, it's a pray with high confidence. Let's look at verse 10. Ephesians 3.10, So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Manifold, meaning much variegated, marked with great variety of colors. It's been said that God's plan, God's will, God's wisdom, God's way is like a skillfully woven tapestry, right? On the top side, its appearance is ordered, precise, patterned. It's beautiful. But on the bottom side, it can look confusing, chaotic, right? Without order or pattern. So we have the divine perspective versus the fallen perspective. God's wisdom is perfect, even though it looks chaotic at times. It's all for him. God is showing, though, the top side of the tapestry, so to speak, through the church. God is making known his eternal purpose to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, Paul says. Now, who are these rulers and authorities in the heavenly places? Well, some think that they're the fallen angels because of verses like, uh, you can turn over there, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness, in the heavenly places. You know, Isaiah 14 comes to mind for me. Um, in fact, I'm going to ask you to turn there. Isaiah 14, let's read verses 12 through 17. How you have fallen from heaven. Isaiah 14, verse 12. O star of the morning, son of the dawn, you have been cut down to earth. You have been weakened, you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will rise my throne above the stars of God, and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Verse 15, nevertheless, 
you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you. They will ponder over you saying, is this the man? Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a wilderness and overthrew its cities, who did not allow his prisoners to go home, right? The strong man, until he met the stronger man. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, right? Whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. Whom the Son sets free, the stronger man. God is revealing his eternal purpose through the church to the devil and to the fallen angelic host. Remember, he swept a third of heaven with him at the fall. Our dear sister Dina in India. India is a dark place. Um, having been there, it's, I mean, it's spiritually dark. Um, I'll never forget all the shrines I saw, the monkey god, and just incredibly wicked and demonic things. But Dina quips, when, the, when Satan fell and a third of the angelic host went with him, two-thirds of that third fell in India. So You'd have to live there. Yeah. God is revealing his eternal purpose through the church to the devil and to the fallen angelic host who thought they could thwart the eternal purpose of God, and attack His glory by destroying all those whom God created to worship Him. That's what happened in the garden. The serpent came and questioned, right? And that's the fall, to try and destroy the very human... Um, the, God made men to worship Him. Satan, in this scene we just read in Isaiah... He wanted God's position. I will, I will, I will. It's been said that Satan had eye trouble. Um, we don't want to follow that, right? Yeah. And also, God is revealing his eternal purpose to the holy angelic host who constantly serve him, who are perpetually in his presence, always obeying every command. These holy angels who long to peer into God's mystery and eternal purpose through the church. Peter mentions them, doesn't he? 1 Peter 1, verse 10, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within, in, within them was indicated as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you in these things, which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Wow. Listen to this quote by Adam Clark. He was an 18th century British theologian talking about the good angels. Quote, Others think good angels are meant, for as these heavenly beings are curious to investigate the wondrous economy of the gospel, though they are not its immediate objects, 
it's, it is quite consistent with the goodness of God to give them that satisfaction which they require. And in this discovery of the gospel, gospel plan of salvation, which reconciles all things in heaven and things on earth, both men and angels, these pure spirits are greatly interested and their praises to the divine being rendered much more abundant. I mean, I, um, I can imagine when two-thirds of the angelic host saw a third fall with Lucifer, who was the archangel, the leader of the worship in heaven. This is the mystery that will be revealed in time and in eternity. But how... Being such a perfect creation, so intelligent, seeing the perfections of God, his power, his wisdom, his perfection, come to what he came to in Isaiah 14. That, that's mind-boggling to me. Um, but for the angelic host to see that God redeemed to himself a people, but there is no redemption for the angelic host. Those who fall, who fell, are condemned. Yeah, so I thought that was a good quote. God has revealed his eternal purpose through the glory of his deity, through his majestic sovereignty, through his eternal power, through his infinite wisdom, all through Jesus Christ to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realm, both good and bad. And this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, verse 11. And there it is, the eternal purpose. Verse 11, chapter 3 of Ephesians. Brothers and sisters, it is so vitally important that we don't think of God's purpose in terms of being new. You know, we have the Old Testament and the New Testament, like God came up with a new plan, as though it replaces the old, as though it somehow supersedes an old purpose or plan that God had before Christ came to earth? No. No, no, no. Look again at verse 11. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose, the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ our Lord. That idea that God had a relationship with us from eternity past. And this is restorative. This is bringing back harmony. This is bringing back the people whom God chose to worship him and restore us to that original place. Listen to Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy, and truly he is at the end of his life in the prison. He says, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, and a teacher. And there it is again, God making him what he was. 
Yeah, and then Jesus in Matthew 25, verse 34, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And then Paul, again in Ephesians 1, just he, Paul speaking, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. God has always had his eternal plan. It's always been in place. His eternal decree, his eternal purpose. And now Paul seems to conclude his point, at least in my mind, by making it clear in verse 12 exactly what is God's eternal purpose. And we've been talking about it, but he says in verse 12, in whom we have boldness and confident access. I just, God wants us back to have fellowship with him, unhindered fellowship with God, access to God, our, our solution for all issues, all problems, all difficulties, all trials is God himself to go to God. Help me, Lord, to understand that nothing is too hard for him to know that he can change my life. He can give me new affection. He can conform me into the image of his son. Praise the Lord. What confidence, what grace. And this is God's plan and his purpose. This will take place and has. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature. It is done. And so we see the wonderful plan of God coming into fruition. I have several other verses here, um, maybe just a couple more. Ephesians 3.12, he says, in whom we have bold access and confident access that we just read. I mean, that's the point, the eternal purpose accomplished through Christ. Access to God restored, oneness with God realized, holy fellowship and union with God accomplished eternally in Christ. Um, I'm going to conclude here with two other readings, and I'm going to ask you to turn with me to both of them. Revelation chapter 7. Turn over to Revelation chapter 7. We're going to read 9 through 12. This is a glorious picture. It's a scene that we're meant to rejoice in. This wonderful purpose of God accomplished. Revelation chapter 7 verse 9. John says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. There's a social program. Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation standing clothed in white robes and righteousness. I love and you do too. Our God is a God of, 
um, variety, right? He loves dimension. I've shared this before, but I'm coming back to this. But when I'm over on the northern coast of California in the redwoods, I see these 300-foot redwoods. They all have the same environment, you know, these, and in a three-foot fern. Same soil, same air, same water, same climate. By design, they're three feet and 300 feet for God's pleasure, for God's glory. And what are these people doing? They cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is God's eternal purpose. This is God's plan. Holy fellowship restored. Access to the very presence of God. For all God's people, for all God's creation, all through Jesus Christ, our Lord, all one with God eternally. <laughs> Christian, wow. God help us to comprehend. Now turn over to John 17 with me. This is so wonderful. This is the high priestly prayer of Christ, but I'd just like to read verses 21 through 26. Listen to, to the heart of God, Jesus Christ himself, talking to his Father, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Now, it may seem as though Jesus at this point is requesting of the Father something that he's hoping the Father will do. And I, I, I'm just taking a little bit of license with this, so feel free to rebuke me, but I envision, I mean, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. Do you remember what he prayed in the garden? Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. That's human, right? We don't want, we don't want suffering. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. In this prayer, Lord, Father, accomplish your will in me. Not my will, but your will be done. And that's not to suggest for a moment that it was Jesus' will that he not die on our, for us. But that humanity. Thank God he's not, he didn't bow to his human instinct. And, in, and by the grace of God and the power of God, we can do the same thing. Live for God, Right? Verse 22, the glory which you've given me, I have given to them that they may be one. Just 
as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. I want you to pay special attention and note verse 23. I want to come back to it. I in them and you in me that they may be perfected in in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Even as you loved me. Father, I desire, verse 24, that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you've given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you and these have known that you sent me. These, these who? The elect. The elect knows. The elect knows of God, the people of God know that God sent his son. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Do you hear language of oneness? Do you hear the heart of Christ that they be with Father? That they be with us, one with us, enjoying the glory that we enjoy. This is why the gospel is preached. This is what Peter said in 1 Peter 4, 6. This is why even to us who are dead, dead in our sins. Though judged in the flesh the way men are, we might live in the spirit the way God does. Worshiping God, loving God, enjoying God, knowing God. The good news is that we can do that through Christ and his perfection. Now I called out verse 23 because, just one last point, um, I can remember. I think it's in John chapter 5, verse 9. I hope. Uh, I should have made a note because that's not it. But somebody with their phone really fast can find the verse. But even as the Father loved me, I have loved you. That's the point. How has the Father loved the Son? Eternally. And and God said, I've loved you with an everlasting love. God has loved us eternally. Thank you. What is it? 15? Okay, there it is. Oh, I was only off by one. (laughs) (laughs) My backup, thank you. Yeah, let's just read it. Let the Bible do. It's heavy lifting. I love it. Verse 9, just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. It just, the Father has loved the Son from eternity past. We just read it in John 17. And that's how Christ has loved us from eternity past. Praise the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word. 
for your grace, for your mercy, for your tenderness, your joy as we come to these, to your word, to to this truth. Lord, it's changing us. And you are glorified. And you take pleasure in your people. Help us, Lord. I pray that your word would have its perfect work in our hearts. Change us, Lord. Cause us to live in the light of eternity, fully looking to Christ, following in his steps, living the life he lived, walking in the light as you yourself are in the light, turning away from sin, turning away from the world, turning away from Satan. Thank you, God, that we've been freed. The stronger man is one. Christ has come. The King has come. May we serve you with loyalty, affection, and truth. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name, amen.